Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text, weekly podcast where a couple seminary profs uh, geek out on the lectionary text for the upcoming Sunday and begin to swap some sermon ideas and in the process hopefully uh, offer some uh, you know helpfulness, some equipping of uh, ministers, especially those uh, who are preaching sermons and uh, leading Bible studies or anything. We hope it's helpful to you, but really hopefully it's edifying to anybody. Um, who might want to listen in and learn a little more um, about the scriptures. Um, I'm your uh, regular host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. This week, uh, we have my regular co-host, uh, Aaron Perry, and he teaches uh, pastoral theology and leadership uh, at the seminary as well. So we're looking at the second Sunday of Lent. Did the first Sunday of Lent last week with uh, Dr. Ken Shank. Um, still in Luke, uh, sticking with the gospel text for now. So we're in the second Sunday of Lent, and we're looking at the gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 30, excuse me, 30, there ain't no chapter 30, chapter 13, chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. So Luke 13. I like a short passage. Me too. I didn't. Oh. The double was a bad idea. I should have. This other reason why looking ahead helps because actually there's a week when you can option the second half of the Transfiguration story. Okay. So we already made that choice by doing the. I don't know. Short passage. It just less to work with. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, mean, like it, I find that easier. Less yeah. reading, you know. No, I hear you, man. Okay. Okay. Uh, who wants to read this week? I do. All right. Go for it. Luke 13, verse 31. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox. I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Well, thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, illumine our minds. Lord Jesus Christ, warm our hearts. Holy Spirit, move our will that we may see you and love you and follow you that we may see the truth of who you are, that we may love that truth and be empowered to walk in the way of all truth. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. So what are some uh, first impressions? Just things that, just kind of focusing on observation, as it were, and we'll get into the weeds of interpretation later, but just what uh, what stands out at you? What do you notice? Well, the Pharisees are often regarded as bad guys, <laughs> but here it's like they're warning Jesus, right? That was really weird to me. Yeah, yeah. First words. Yeah, you know they're not they're not saying leave this place and we're going to kill you. They're saying leave this place because Herod wants to kill you. Oh, I love this new format because I have a thought about that, and I'm going to save it. I'm just going to let that stand as an observation because let's get more observations on the table. Because here's another one. Yeah. I noticed behold twice, 32, 35, mm. right? So at the beginning of his first statement, behold, I'm casting out demons and causing uh, healing, etc. And then kind of at the end, um, you know, behold, you know, your house is emptied. I say to you. You'll not see me until 
you say. And it just, I remembered the term inclusio uh, for mm-hmm. something at the beginning and the end that kind of rhyme. It's a common Hebrew uh, Semitic patterning, patterning. This only appears in Luke. So anyway, see, I started doing it. I started commenting and just, just behold, behold and behold, drawing our attention in. What else? What else do I you always see? wonder uh, the second Jerusalem, mm. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, hmm. right? That, that second affirmation. I think of, hmm. um, I heard a friend of mine preach on this, uh, Actually, not in this passage, but from David, and he had, "Oh, Absalom, Absalom!" Mm. Right, that that longing heart, and and Jesus also has that word, "Oh, Mar- uh, Martha, Martha!" Right, he says right. her name twice. So I was wondering, like, what, how my do- God, my God, yeah. why have you forsaken me? You know, there's there's a, a repetition there of that. You know, there's something there's something emotive coming out in that second, in that repetition of the city's name, maybe. Huh. Oh, that seems, it seems likely that it means something. I'll tell you the thing that, that grabs me most of all, no doubt. Today, tomorrow, and on mm-hmm. the third day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that just like mm-hmm. says it twice and mm-hmm. that sticks out like a sore thumb, especially because he talks about getting, you know, prophets getting killed and everything. So there's a lot going on here. I can see why this is a Lent text, you mm-hmm. know, as we're moving towards Jerusalem um, and his death there, but way out. I mean, that's not, that's still, we still got like nine chapters to go. So, but you see, you feel it coming, the foreshadowing, mm-hmm. but I mean, come on, on the third day, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. that's got to have some, some secondary meaning. Interesting, interesting burn on Herod. Go tell that <laughs> fox. You yeah. Know. Especially when he's the king. I mean, it's kind of... Yeah, I mean, there's kind of usurpers <laughs> lurking, you know, you know, lurking around the edges. You know, foxes are are wily. They're not, they're not courageous, right? They don't, they don't, they only go after pretty small animals. Yeah. Fly, slinky. Yeah, I, I wonder. Yeah, and why, like, is the fox just something that he would call him anyway, or if it has anything to do with um, what he's up to. That's wild. Yeah. There's a lot of characters in this story, right? We've got the Pharisees, right? We've got Jesus. We've got news from and to Herod. We've got kind of Jerusalem as a character Mm -hmm. as it were. Yep. Right. Um, The people who are being healed. Right. I just thought listing those out wouldn't hurt a little bit. Yeah. What else jumps out? There's what else the, is sticking out? The, the characters who are fill in the category of prophets who have died. Oh yeah, at Jerusalem's house or at Jerusalem's hands, right? This this character from this the characters from this story. Um, you who kill the prophets and stones stone those sent to you. I mean, the, this big contrast of of frustration and you would expect some kind of fear even anger about what is he's anticipating and the rejection he's anticipating uh and yet brokenheartedness at the same at the same time uh i mean this and this image um how often i longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings Mm -hmm. now this this image of Protection and sacrifice and uh, I've already said protection. Can't say it again. But, <laughs> protection, you know. sacrifice. Yeah. Uh, I needed a third. Long suffering. Yeah. Endurance. Because there's yeah, a kind of right. Yeah. Like, like responsibility. Like I mean that the the pastor in me gets that is always taken with that with this image of one who's wants a sense of ownership of others to to provide for them and yet recognizes that there's a willingness that needs to coincide with that desire to protect yeah and towards the end of 34 that 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 phrase that you mentioned um it's a desire right what how does yours put it the word just want to camp on the words a little bit how long i've uh how long i have long how often i have longed to gather longed okay so it's a a so desire, want, wish, 
Um, but the longing fits the, 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 the adverb before, posakis, you know, how long. So how long have I, have I wanted, right? Mm. And then notice the parallel then. So how long I have willed, okay, um, to gather, um, you know, your children like a, like a, you know, like, like a hen gathers hers under her wings, but you have not willed it. Mm-hmm. I don't know what verb do you have long willing. See, yeah. so that's what's tricky about making the first one longing mm. because it's the same. It's the exact same verb. Mm. It's I'm willing, desiring, right? But you're not desiring, you know, now it, it's not wrong to translate it because it's different. Mm. There's a difference between the longing, the, the, the will that initiates and the will that consents. Um, but it also is the meeting of two wills, mm. right? And it's the will of Christ and the resistant will of his people, um, which implies a little, I'm not going to force you under my wings. Yeah. If you resist, I, I, if you want to go out in the storm, you'll go out in the storm. I'm going to do all I can. Yeah. Um, that just occurs to me looking at the text. Um, yeah, and these, you say it's nice to have a short passage, and I agree, because even in a short passage, you start to notice that there's chunks, mm-hmm. right? Because really, there's really two statements here linked together with Jerusalem, right? But I assume he's not talking to Herod anymore, right? Like, 32 is, go tell that fox, right? And then it's a line of what to say to, to Herod from 32 to 33. And then 34, 35 is kind of address this kind of poetic address to Jerusalem as a whole of whom Herod is the leader. And so there is a kind of, there's a thematic connection, of course, um, and a reference to his death in both, but there's really kind of two chunks, right? 32, 33, or, you know, 31 through 33 and then 34 through 35 are kind of two parts in a way. Maybe, maybe not. Feel free to push back on that. If that analysis doesn't fit. No, that's how, you know, that seems to be the, the movement. He's having this, conversation with others and then it seems to me be more introspective self-reflection and then at the end again it does it does turn out that he is speaking look your house is left to you desolate i tell you you will not see me again until you say there's definitely an affirmation or a way of phrasing that it's uh speaking that to somebody to somebody else but it's it seems like there's more uh, jesus Jesus with an with the Conversing with somebody who's not present, mm-hmm. even though it's a definite conversation. Yeah, and 35, in a way, the phrase behold that I mentioned appears at the beginning and end, signals the return to a kind of more direct address, right? Whereas the the 34 is a little more expressive. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. What a beautiful passage. Weird mm. passage. Unique passage. Mm. Strange one. Well, let's, uh, let's take a short break. Just a little breather. Take a deep breath. And uh, when we come back. Um, we'll dig in a little deeper, see if we can uh, geek out a little bit and see what we can uh, see. So, we did, Didn't you say you had a, somebody say to you, do you guys like during the break, do you guys go look things up? Well, we did. We just we rushed to our commentaries. It's been two hours now. <laughs> we rushed to our commentaries, and no, no, no. It's actually yeah, a matter of minutes. But um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I mentioned this in passing earlier, but uh, I finally you've you may have noticed uh, Aaron or our listeners that I keep saying, oh dang it, I need to bring my my synopsis. I finally brought it. Uh, and this week there's no parallel, so it's useless, but, uh, <laughs> but it'll be useful in the future. Um, especially cause I have it marked up in some places already, you know, but, um, so for those of you who've not ever seen a synopsis, um, I mean, you can, you can do this on your own by flipping around and usually most Bibles have little references to other passages where something appears, um, between the first three gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, excuse me, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, 
And there are some online resources, but none compare to the Cadillac of synopses. This is by Kurt Aland. Um, costs a pretty penny, but I've got, got it's got Greek on the left, English on the right, and it's all laid out. This is terrible radio, uh, but, <laughs> but it's all laid out so that even like down to the word, line by line, you can kind of see the way the passages line up and where they differ. Um, but anyway, it's a really helpful resource for glancing. I don't have to flip around as much. Mm-hmm. Um, again, this week, but even this week is helpful because the moment I crack it open to um, this warning from Herod, uh, or this warning about Herod and his warnings back to Herod, um, you know, you immediately see, okay, no parallel, right? There's just no parallel. However, turn the page, the Jerusalem does have parallel in Matthew. Hmm. So I spoke, misspoke earlier when I said, there's no parallel here. Hmm. There isn't to this first part, right? Which confirms the sense that there are kind of two things here mm-hmm. that uh, not to question that they don't go together really well. Um, so, uh, this would be an example of something that doesn't appear in Mark, only in Matthew and Luke, right? And interestingly enough, this fits, weirdly, this fits Lent in terms of the readings of Lent, not necessarily the theme of Lent, although indirectly it does, that like Matthew follows really closely the kind of Mark outline, but like Luke has this really long trip to Jerusalem. You mentioned it last time we met, uh what was it? Nine fifty. The yeah, he set his face towards sets his Jerusalem. face towards Jerusalem. That's yeah. perfect. So this perfectly follows up because it's all about Jerusalem, right? Yeah. Yeah. And from nine fifty until nineteen, what twenty two, something like that. So chapter nineteen, midway through chapter nineteen, is the triumphal entry, which there's also a, a uh, foreshadowing of here um, at the end. You know, mm. be, mm-hmm. blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? So that's ten chapters in Luke. That's only like what i think maybe two chapters in mark the 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 journey to jerusalem from the transfiguration to his arrival Mm -hmm. so he arrives i think in what 11 or 12 in mark so luke uh apart apart in the geek out moments but um part of actually the the format experimentation was to give us a little more room to really geek out in the middle but like the, the the commentaries call this the the great interpolation you heard that phrase when you're you'll notice it now uh the great interpolate he he interpolates into the mark there's this huge chunk of stuff that's only in Luke or in Luke and Matthew okay. and Matthew often puts it in different places than Luke does which is part of why there's a theory that if they were working on the same source it was just a source of sayings right. that didn't really have a narrative structure to it so which is why they seem to put the in different order but okay now blah 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 I'm going on but um all that is is to say um you can kind of see this shared lament over Jerusalem and then Luke kind of links it up with this other story that apparently he learned about that the others don't have in theirs of the Pharisees, which again, Matthew, this is one example where I could totally see Matthew being like, I ain't telling no story where the Pharisees are giving Jesus a tip off. <laughs> yeah, what's, is that, that what you're going to say in the first, at the first section? You said, no, I just thought of that now. <laughs> no, I wanted to ask you about that unless you don't want to start there. Uh, I know I just went off on synopsis, but it's, it's maybe important background. But um, the uh, the Pharisees thing, what do you what do you think's going on there? Like you you, you noted how this is kind of out of character uh, in our usual sense of who the Pharisees are. Um, did you have some hunches about that, or was it just a pure wonder? Just a, a straight a straight wonder. I mean, he he leaves this to go to the house of a Pharisee to have a meal. Right. Um, was that next? That's right after this. Yeah. One oh, Sabbath, when so Jesus cool. went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being watched carefully, and he goes on to. And that's uh, a long a scene because yep. he does a couple parables. Uh, yep. The wedding parable happens here yep. in that same story. Yeah, you see him, and we've seen him eating with Pharisees before, and even you know what I mean. Like this is kind of this has come up. I think it's important for us to maybe toy with reassessing our sense of who the Pharisees really were and are, um, especially in this transition as he heads to Jerusalem. Cause I mean, this is actually what I was thinking of earlier when you said, the, what was the thing you were thinking of earlier? That the Pharisees were more like, if you think of the Pharisees and Sadducees as the kind of big parties of the time, you know, these were the Democrats, Republicans, as it were, although it's all mixed up with religion. Well, I guess that's true for us too. Uh, but, and like, you know, it's like, Galilee was a red state or a blue state, wherever, whichever way you think of it, right? Like the Pharisees were dominant there, much more so. Whereas down in Judea and Jerusalem was dominated by the Sadducees. So 
Jesus, uh, the phrase that I learned long ago from one of my beloved teachers was heated polemics are a sign of sibling rivalry, mm-hmm. right? The reason why Jesus and the Pharisees are mm-hmm. debate so much is because they're the ones he has the most in common with. Mm-hmm. He's not like the Essenes who just withdraw from the world. He's not like the Sadducees who compromise with the Roman powers. He's actually very close to the Pharisees in doctrine and in perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, the Pharisees, we talk about them burdening the people and they do. Jesus says that, but the, the burden they put on the people in terms of following the law was rooted in a pastoral sensibility. They were making the law mm-hmm. practical in everyday life. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Sadducees, it was all about the temple. Mm-hmm. It was all about the worship and the sacrifices and power and the, and the big city. The Pharisees were out in the country. They were the people's uh, the people's party almost, as it were. And they were a little more revolutionary. They were kind of like, hey, if we if there was one day when we if there was one day when every Jew followed the law perfectly, if we all kept the Sabbath perfectly one day, God would come back and kick out the Romans. Like this is really I'm saying that a little bit facetiously, but that's kind of the gist of their teaching. Mm-hmm. If we follow the law, God will, you know, come mm-hmm. back, raise the dead. They taught resurrection. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is heading, as he's heading to Jerusalem, it's fitting that we can see the alliance that he has with the Pharisees. That despite their debate, as he starts to head to Jerusalem, they're like, well, they don't like Herod. They don't like the Sadducees. They, the closer he gets to Jerusalem, the more we see, it fits that we would see that they have a camaraderie despite their deep deep debates um which are course are what are focused on as the years go on and these gospels get written down but is that making all sense i know i just kind of lectured for two minutes for it was for the sake of our hearers i know that you know all this aaron and um but like does that help us interpret the text is what really is at stake but go ahead well, I was wondering, I, w- I was thinking back to another healing on the Sabbath. So the next story is going to go into a healing on the Sabbath. And mm-hmm. I was thinking about healing on the Sabbath in Mark, where the Pharisees and the Herodians really early on in that gospel start to plot together how they can take right. Jesus' life. But this doesn't seem to be... And, and obviously what you're saying is Pharisees don't have to be... You know, what one Pharisee thinks about who Jesus is doesn't have to be what all Pharisees think That's about right. who Jesus is. Right? They, would all have di- they would have had different different takes on it, you know, and Jesus says, who do the people say that I am? There's, there's, they're gauging Pharisees who are saying, who do, who, who do some of them say that I am? What are the options that they're playing with? So you see this narrowed down as John often does. He puts themes that happen in groups in the synoptic gospels emerge in the book of John as like one character, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you get right. Nicodemus, yeah. right? in John, Nicodemus is the, yeah. the Pharisee, though not a Galilean. I believe it says he's a Pharisee. It only says that he's Sanhedrin. My story sucked. I screwed it up if he's not a Pharisee. <laughs> hey, but you know what? The that's, point works. Then. Yeah, Go ahead. Well, that, no, that's, that's, that's part of the nature. I mean, we're, we're putting this live live to recording. But that's, that is part of the nature of just getting into the text, is letting your mind be reminded sometimes of things that weren't actually there. Yeah. Right? You get reminded, like, oh, I wasn't actually reminded of that. I was I was playing with an error. You yeah, know, yeah. That, that sometimes happens. And then sometimes, and it's yeah, stu- a man, a man of the Pharisees yep. named Nicodemus. So yeah, yeah. Study is. I mean, I often say that like we we can listen to and even trust our intuitions. The work of study is to confirm, clarify, and correct, not to shut down. Like mm-hmm. oh, stu- never have a thought if you haven't find a Bible verse for it. I mean, that's crazy. No, you go with your gut. You know, you just learn how to take the time to study it. Here we got to confirm, didn't we? <laughs> My instinct was right. He's a Pharisee. Yeah. Although interestingly, down in Jerusalem, and later they tease him and say, "What are you from Galilee?" Yeah, Which yeah, actually yeah. makes sense if you think. Yeah. Right. Again, it's like you know, um, uh, again, like and you think of like U.S. politics and the kind of at least currently, this has not always been the case, but currently the association of kind of red state Republican with middle of the country uh, and rural and all, all that goes with that and coastal city Democrat, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There can be the kind of, you know, Pharisee's a, he's a, he's a, he's a Washington. I mean, Nicodemus is a Washington DC Republican, but he's like, what are you, are yeah. you from Indiana? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you don't want to be a New York liberal. Yeah. yeah right, right. You can see it yeah. like how they would be, so you see the dynamic, and what do we see with Nicodemus? He's interested in Jesus, but he comes at night, right? So I know I'm going off on John, but it's a way to personalize and individualize and individualize uh, 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 something we see here, which I think you're, you're dead right. We have every reason to believe that there were factions of the Pharisees, perhaps the leaders of the Pharisees, conspiring with Herodians. But all the more it makes sense now that that's – because I believe that's only in Luke too. that mention of conspiring that early. Well, that was Mark. I was thinking Mark. Oh, okay. I was thinking My Mark, bad. Mark 3. 
The Pharisees oh, man, went out and began to plot with the Herodians. Wow. Yeah. But it's after a meal, you said. Right? Uh, that's a, a healing on the Sabbath. Ah. That was a healing on the Sabbath. Yeah, so, but all the more so then, if in Luke, you've got this sign of how would the Pharisees know that Herod is plotting yeah. other than if some yeah. of the Pharisees are sympathetic. Yeah. Or even, and it's not even a given that this Pharisee is telling Jesus because he doesn't like Jesus. It could just be that he doesn't like violence and he doesn't want this to get out of hand, mm-hmm. right? He could mm-hmm. just be yeah. being prudent and just yeah. saying like, dude, I don't like how you teach, but I don't really want you to go to Jerusalem and get killed. You know, and it's kind of, I think the set, his face is not just meant as a private thought. I think it's meant to be kind oh, of a yeah. known thing. Yeah, Jesus yeah. is on his way. Yeah. It's like, a, again, sorry to use all the political imagery, but he's on a campaign mm-hmm. trip from Galilee to Jerusalem, mm-hmm. right? And he's gathering so that when he gets to the, you know, when he gets to Jerusalem, the people that are shouting for him are not all Jerusalemites. They're people who've come with him, you know? So he's, he's, he's gaining momentum. And this Pharisee, either because he's jealous, he's worried. He just likes to show off that he's in the know. I got to be honest. When I know something, I like telling people. <laughs> yeah. can, can we delve into this a little bit? Do it. Yeah. Uh, it's a bit of a different direction, but it, I think it might be connected. Uh, so I'm thinking back to Luke two, and why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that it had to be in my father's house? And now the language mm. of, for Jerusalem is, look, your house is left to you desolate. Is there is there a... Wow. Is the, the Greek there the same? I'm sure it is, but I'll check if you want me to. Go ahead and make well, your comment, Well, though. I'm just I'm just Because the comment works even if the... You know, is this is this one of the... Is this the observation that, okay, that this is the state of your house, mm. right? right? This, is, this is a house without without proper... This is a house without proper leadership, right? This is this is not mm. this is not the house of David. This is not this is not the city under the city of peace under David's leadership. This is this is not the house of Solomon where the temple the temple is built and the palace is built. This is you know this is the state of your house. What mm. what happens whenever you're, it's been you've so consistently rejected the the prophets, the ones who would speak truth to you about from the, from God? That's what I'm wondering. Hmm. Is that a is that a, a condemnation of of their own lack of ability to hear and discern truth? Now I see it. I see it. And the house, it. The reason why that's really helpful for me is to see when I heard house, I was just thinking household people. You know, your livelihood. Your, but that there might be a subtle, uh, um, even if only suggestive, uh, a a gesture towards the temple, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, especially given what's to come. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm hearing temple imagery there. And, I, and again, it's good. It's a general rule of thumb uh, for, to look for temple imagery uh, in um, John. I mean, in Luke, you know, Luke has a very kind of, I'm going to make up an ugly word, a templocentric kind of way of narrating things. Right. But I mean, there's so much action in the temple early on. There's these stories yeah. that move towards it. The temple shows up in acts a lot too. It's the kind of, I remember I had a friend in graduate school who was in new Testament studies and he was doing his dissertation on like the narrative mapping it was called and how the narr- the center, the kind of center of the world, of the narrative world of Luke is the Jerusalem temple. That makes sense. So mm-hmm. that I always have that kind of back of my head when I read Luke, but, um, but then that makes this take on a whole nother level that I did not see until you mentioned that connection to Luke two, right? Behold your house, Jerusalem, right? Your house, meaning if that means the temple, right? Mm. The temple is forsaken. Whoo. That's a whole nother level. Yeah. And it fits the, prophetic context right he's talking about how you guys are the ones who kill the prophets and he is the uber prophet right who wants to be you know who wants to be their priest right he wants to be the one who cares for he wants to be their pastor Mm. who draws them under the wing Mm -hmm. but because you refuse you know behold your house is forsaken and i say unto you you can almost hear it truly truly i say unto you right you will not see me, right, until you say, right, which, again, even is ironic because it almost sounds like until you're ready to bless me, but it's actually code for even then you're going to turn on me. Yeah. And what does he do that day? He clears the temple. Exactly. Oh, I'm sorry. I got you off. No, it's all right. He drives them out, right? 
He entered the temple area and began driving out those who were sailing. It is written, my house will be a house of prayer. You know, and that so, takes that to a whole other level because that scene yeah. does not just mean the temple's great, I want to make it better. It's almost a symbolic statement of, it's a symbolic acting out of yeah. the forsakenness, yeah. right? Yeah. This is this is not the true temple, yeah. right? Yeah, I cleansed it, but only for a day. Yeah. I can't I can't make this temple what it's supposed to be. Man, I'm getting like, <laughs> getting worried for Jerusalem. <laughs> Well, and, and then the, they go, he goes into the parable of the, of the tenants and he goes into the, the stone that the builders rejected. I mean, they're, they uh. the, you know, <laughs> the one who is going to be stoned metaphorically mm, is, mm-hmm. is the stone upon whom all of this will then be, be will be rebuilt, right? Yeah, because 34, right? It, it references stoning. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Yeah. Killer of the prophet, the killer of the prophets. The killer and stoner of the pen, stoner of those sent to you. Yeah. Stoner of apostles, as it were. I mean, it's not that, but. And, yeah, and he, oh, it's so beautiful that he does what he longs to do. He does long to gather the children together. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly what he does. I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about Acts. Um, no, I think it's in, I think it's in the end of Luke, right? Um, with the, t- uh, the offering of Barabbas. Mm. And he said, they say, his blood be on us and on our children. That line uh, is in Matthew. It's Matthew. Okay. Not in yeah. Okay. Well, but it might be relevant. What was the... Well, it just, I mean, if you read that theologically, the cleansing blood of Christ be mm. on us and on our children is actually good news. And and here... Just that, like here you have the irony in the other way. Right. When you say blessed, blessed be the one who comes, it actually means I'm there to get rejected. Yeah. Go ahead. You were making a different point. But. No, that, it, it, it was... Um, his longing to gather the children is exactly what he will do through his death. That that his death will be a means of gathering, <sighs> gathering together the children. That uh, his his being killed, his being stoned, will make will lead to him being the stone upon whom this the household of faith is rebuilt, and the children are gathered to, are regathered together. And then all that makes me want to go back to this first part of the passage today. Um, Go tell that fox, I'm casting out demons of performing cures today and the next day. And on the third day, tele umai, I will be completed. I will finish. Right? It's the same verb that appears in John 19 when it says, it is finished. Mm. Tetelestai. Mm. Um tele umai, tele umai, I am done right mm. now again there's surface level he's simply saying i'm going to i'm going to be in this town for 3 more days right um cuz i think the, the 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 warning is herod heard that he's in the particular area of cuz he's on his way to jerusalem now so is he in samaria is he in northern judea i don't know it's not clear but um it's known that he's on his way that gets out perhaps through some pharisee whisper network right um because again, Pharisees, you know, you might have Pharisees in the Sanhedrin who live in Galilee, move, go back and forth, right? Um, Whisper Network gets to Herod. Herod's sending – it might mean literally not just that he wants to kill you, but he's – right? He's sent someone here to kill you, right? And he says, I'm going to stay mm. here for three more days and then I'll be done. So that's just the surface, right? I, I'm just – I'm going to be here for three more days. Oh, and he's almost taunting Herod. Yeah, I'll be here for three days. Like, like – Hey, hey, get out of here. You go tell Herod, I'll be here for three more days if he wants to send someone to come kill me, right? I mean, that's kind of the taunt. Yeah. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the and the, the next. Um, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem, right? It's kind of like, yeah, but I ain't worried. I know you won't kill me till I get to Jerusalem because I know why I'm here. I know what's going to happen to me. But the repeating of this triple clearly has that second level, especially with the passage right after, which makes me wonder if even Luke wants, since we know that this, the, the second half of this passage appears in Matthew, the first half doesn't, it's possible then that Luke is linking two things together that didn't come to him together, right? It's possible that he's even putting these together in order to help us hear the second level of that third, on the third day, I will be done. Mm. Um, because the allusion to his death is ratcheted up in 34, just like you said. And then it links it up with casting out of demons yeah. and healing of sins. Yeah. 
it's basically he's implying that in my death and descent into hell and on the third day raising again, that is the great act of casting out the demon, the Mm -hmm. devil, and of healing the sin, Mm -hmm. you know, or healing the, of giving the great cure, which is the cure for our, our sinfulness and our reconciliation with God and the transformation of our bodies and the, the biggest, because even when you raise people, you know, even, even when he raises people from the dead, let alone heals them from leprosy, they're going to die again. It's resurrection that brings the biggest cure of all. Now I'm getting a little way too excited, but you almost get the vibe of the real, the, the big, you know, that all his casting out of demons, this is all a sign of the big casting out and the big uh, cure that is his death and resurrection. Is this all making sense? Well, it it is. And I, and I was curious ahead to see how Herod makes another appearance in the story. And, and he does in the, in the, the trial scenes. Um, Pilate asked if, if Jesus was a Galilean. When he heard that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at the time. Right. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because he had for a long time been wanting to see him. Huh. And from what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform some miracle. And it's like... It, 23 what? Uh, that's 23 verses uh, 6 through 8 I just read. Uh, he plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. And I'm like, it's because Jesus already gave him the answer. <laughs> he's already told him what he's going to do. Go and tell that fox. I, I will drive out this... demons and heal people today and tomorrow. And, and again, surface level is like, okay, if Herod wants to see me, come and see me. Right? If, if Herod is curious to see a miracle, because, mm. I mean, Jesus understand. I mean... He understands the performance that's, that's going on through him and that some people are only there to, for something amazing to happen, right? So he, you know, it's it's like Herod will be found out for what kind of person he is depending on what he does by coming to see me. If he comes to see me to have me killed, he'll be seen for what he is. If he mm-hmm. comes to see out of genuine, uh, with eyes to see and ears to hear, he'll be seen for what he is. And because he's not that person, he doesn't see the miracle that he's actually really longing to see. Yeah. He doesn't see the miracle of the resurrection, even though he could. He's in Jerusalem when this is all taking place. But he cannot, he cannot see it, maybe precisely because he is a fox. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And your house is forsaken, that lingo. You can even think of medieval, um, uh, medieval times, right? But even early modern, like, House is Forsaken has a kind of royal vibe yep. to it as well. Yes, yeah, yeah. You're, it means your house. Yeah. And, 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 of course, Herod's house is forsaken. It it, it doesn't last too much longer. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and because he's a fox, like you say, that's that's so good. Yeah. And these, these are the leader. And, I mean, it's this terrible tension of people getting the leaders they deserve. <laughs> and, and the leader the leader that, that is there for them, Jesus, is not the one that they deserve. And yet he still comes to them. And the leaders that they deserve, Herod and Pilate, are the ones who are... Who conspire to keep their power over the people. Yeah. <laughs> and, and are cowardly, right? Yeah. Like are, are as much a victim as the mob. Not as much. They're a victim of the mob as well. Right? Pilate wants to set Jesus free. Can't because the mob says, right. no, give us Jesus. We Give us Barabbas. We, you know, take Jesus away. Um, you know, it's this, it's this really thing that... that that these cowardly leaders are the ones that the people deserve. Uh, um, and Jesus longs for that to be mm. changed and upset and turned over. Um, and because they are, because they are the men that they are, they cannot see the miracle they long to see. Was that an intentional allusion to, was that, was that, is that, is that in Batman, Batman? the second one? I was, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was like, I was like, don't turn into Batman. Don't turn on to Batman. What's like, the quote? Like you've been the, you've been trying to be oh, the, the hero that Gotham Needs, needs not the hero it deserves. it deserves or something yeah, like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You tried not to and I made you. Yeah. Well, I feel your homiletical energy uh, juicing up, so I won't cut that off. I, you know, We'll take a deep breath, but we'll keep that energy going and come back after a break and see where we want to head with it. I held my breath that entire break. For two hours. That entire break, I held my breath. <laughs> oh. I didn't want the homiletical juice to, to Keep your spill away. Keep your homiletical juice to yourself. <laughs> um, so, uh, what's your angle? 
your your <laughs> your winkel, right? Your angle, your where where might you head? There's a lot of directions in this conversation. Good conversation, by the way. I liked today. Yeah. No? Yeah. No, I like just, every every time, John. I like, but, I like all our conversations. I can make but. some relative assessment of better and I think we got a little stuck when we were in Luke 6. Those weren't the best conversations we've ever had. <laughs> what was that one? The Sermon on the Plain stuff. Uh, there were some insights. All right. Okay. I didn't say it was uh, bad. I was saying this okay. was better. Okay. Um, I Come on. Think... I thought you said your love language was words of affirmation. Hey, thanks, John. And, well, and as a fellow affirmation lover, you want to resist it so you can get more, well, A, or B, you never trust I, it. I, I took it as subtle critique. Oh, <laughs> of course you did. T- today was... Better than normal, so you're getting better, which was pretty stinky. Like my no, old, and my or or uh, or burden is how I take a compliment. Yeah. My my one of my oldest friends, Todd, says like, yeah, whenever someone says, uh, everyone says, great job, but you know, great job, buddy. You know, you can't help it here. Um, keep it up. <laughs> <laughs> and he said that once. I'm like, oh, you know, my soul. That's how I feel too. <laughs> uh, yeah. So what's uh, what's your angle? Where where would you head? What direction might you go? I'd I'd have to camp on that imagery of a hen gathering mm-hmm. under under her wings, and and in part of, in part it is because of an image that sticks in my own mind. It was back when I was in Brockville, and I'm holding my daughter in a rocking chair, rocking her to sleep, and it is crazy thunderstorm outside, just like you know, shaking the house, lightning thunder, and um and she's sleeping right now. She's asleep. She she is uh-huh. not paying a, a care in the world to this because she's held in my arms and i remember thinking to myself um wouldn't wouldn't it be nice to be held in god's arms like this that we wouldn't even know the storms around us and just Uh. as quick as this i sensed the lord saying to me who says you're not uh, right. And so I think, I think it's dangerous to build a sermon on an illustration, but that illustration is only coming to mind now. And so I don't think I'm building a sermon on the illustration, <laughs> but it's really confirming that, that that would be one that would settle into here that, that the people don't even know they're under the wings of Jesus. His death could have completely averted the destruction of the city if they had paid attention. Huh. Right. If they had paid attention, it could have averted without them even notice knowing he does bring them under his wings and that, but they're not willing. And so they, they still scatter away, right? They still resist it. And I think I would, I think that I would have some kind of good news and challenge in that, that, that he, he is willing to gather. Are we willing to be gathered and is our willing persisting? Mm. Um, you could play on the, that little point That's I right. made about the two wills. Right. Yep. You can yep. really get into the sense of our consent. Yeah. And and even yeah. then that our willingness dictates what it is that we will see. And maybe you could play a little bit with the with the character of Herod here that that Herod longs to see this miracle but preci- but cannot precisely because he's not willing. Uh, and actually you can go into see. verse 35. Behold. Yeah. See. Which is which does mean see. Yeah. But then it keeps going. Your house is forsaken. I say to you, you will not see me yeah. until you say, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. There's lots of, so there's lots of ways you can play you can with the seeing yeah. without even going to Herod if you wanted, yeah. cause you really could even just focus on 34 yeah. through 35. Sure. Although like I've found, and this is just a tip for listeners too. Like, you know, sometimes you need like, you know, for the bulletin or for the, for the, for the PowerPoint or whatever, you need your text set early. Um, but sometimes the sermon hasn't like fully congealed yet. Mm-hmm. There's no shame in my view of like to have like that whole passage read. But if your sermon's really just, sure, sure, you know, sure, sure. Um, you're just giving people a little context. But yeah. um, and it's one thing I try to do with my kids is just tell them the story like the story, rather than it being like, oh, flip ahead in your Bibles and we're and we're going to look at this passage too, because it kind of like can can shift the attention, right? But just. just Make allusions to to what else happens in the story. So this morning we talked about about um, Ruth. Can you read that for me? I'm sorry. The, the, we, we talked about Ruth and just okay. just not reading the whole story, but letting the scripture prompt me to tell the story to my kids. And maybe there's a way that you could kind of tell some of the of Herod's story, the Herod story from Luke, you without without going ahead. Right. That's right. You know, you're just staying right right here with it. Um, yeah, actually, we could give the wrong impression because, of course, our style of exegesis, because of, you know, your direct and my indirect Asbarian training, um, we do a lot of these, you know, 
kind of readings of the author and where things, you know what I mean? These kind of literary approaches mm-hmm. to scripture um, that uh, that you and I both learned and, and practice. We might give the, the the impression, though, to those listeners to, to think that that's necessarily how, like, we would preach our sermons. Because I've heard you preach. I think you've heard me preach. We don't actually – we might do a little of that, but mm-hmm. we don't let it overdetermine. It's a big part of our study, mm-hmm. right? But not everything in your study is made explicitly – referenced often right. it has to be just more alluded to you have yeah. to i mean i have my sermons and i know yours are too are just packed with allusions to the rest of the the book that the passage comes from and the rest of scripture mm-hmm. actually i kind of try to tell the whole narrative of scripture every week <laughs> but but i always try to stay as much as close to the text as possible because it, it can be overwhelming yeah um if you put too much in yeah um but you're planting those little seeds and you let the story do its own work. Yeah, you know, you let the character of Herod come in like the Nicodemus thing. I, I don't think that would ever make its way into a sermon, but it helps me, mm. you know, unless I, unless I was really focused on the Pharisees part. Do you right. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But like that yeah, helped yeah. me though. I have a picture of the kind of Pharisee who might be a little bit more pro Jesus, yeah. that there's a more yeah. open, not, if not pro open to Jesus wing of yeah. the Pharisees. It's nice to have a name and a face to go with that. In my mind, the odds of that coming in a sermon are actually super low. Do you know what I mean? I know I'm kind of doing meta stuff, but I'm better at that than you always have better winkles than me. <laughs> I just kind of have uh, meta comments on homiletics and hermeneutics. But um, but why did I go off on that? I don't know. I lost my train of thought. Because uh, we it's we the ta- afternoon my medicine's wearing off. We were talking about how the there might be allusions to other parts of the story. Right, right, right. Their, you were talking about maybe with Ruth the, with ma- your kids. Yeah, yeah, maybe they would make their way in. Maybe, maybe they wouldn't. But it is. I find it helpful at times to let our congregations know where our mind goes so that mm-hmm. they understand that at times when they're reading scripture, their mind's going to go somewhere else. And it's okay to track that down, right? It's okay mm-hmm. to, to sort it out sometimes. You don't want to do it all the time, but it's okay to do that. My, my winkle is just to, to camp on that image. I mean, that is a, such a powerful image of Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And maybe I'd even work in other other points of that of that re- immediate repetition of the same word said yeah. back to back with Martha, Martha, Absalom, uh, Absalom. Right? There maybe there would be other places that you could make a theme a theme of that. And even does God ever say it in the Old Testament? Adam, Adam, no, Samuel, Samuel. Is that two? I don't know. You could look it up. Yeah. This right. is what's fun when we do this is you kind of get these little. Yeah. Question. I almost want to like assign listeners and like, hey, go do that <laughs> research and tweet us, t- yeah. tweet tweet it at and, at Aaron H M Perry. But you could you you could take that uh you could take that as as a theme and even to your own people as like Stephen yeah. Stephen Jane yes, Jane dude you know, you know just and and you could really camp on that and have people in the city too Mary and Mary oh, and, right you could do yeah. a little. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, well, it makes sense that your your pastor's heart gets drawn in to thirty four. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and that that's a great a great focus. How about for you? of the sermon? Get a winkle. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it really is. I mean, conveniently. The, the first half more than the second half of the passage is where my excitement was. You okay. May, you may have even sensed that. Um, yeah. Um, just on the third day is just too cool for me to pass up. You know what I mean? Um, uh, now, how that how that turns into a sermon is still – that's what's fun with Winkle, uh, this angle idea. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes for me, all I've got is a, a, a textual angle. Like I know which – part of the text is resonating with me. Yep. Um, I'm pretty highly introverted in the way I process. So there's like a big part of me that would want to like just chew on that mm-hmm. for a couple days and then see what emerges. Sometimes I, something's already there. And actually in this conversation, something might squeeze out, but even, even just the one verb, you know, tell, tell I'm not, I want to pronounce it right. Tell my, tell Okay, with that emphasis is on the ooh. So teleumai, teleumai, teleumai. Like there's a part that wants me to almost kind of like write a version of the sermon I might write on John 19 verse 30, the tetelestai, the it is finished. Mm, mm. To like, without, it actually would be really fun as like a little challenge for myself. Sometimes I need those little weird like geeky challenges to help me kind of like get creative, mm-hmm. you know, like 
sometimes restraint makes you more creative, you know, like a sonnet is really hard. It's got all these rules and it actually makes you write a better poem because you have boundaries Um, to kind of like not to write a sermon that doesn't make a single reference to that other passage in John, you know, or I mean, maybe I could add it after I write it, but I mean, like, like, what does it look like to just play with, what does it mean for Christ to finish his work? right? To be done and to work on it on layers. And I feel like there's three layers. I know this isn't a three-point sermon, but it's a a three-movement sermon, as it were, right? There's the first layer, which is what's happening right here. He's he's goading Herod. And it's a fascinating question, by the way. When he meets Herod, did this message get back to Herod? Yeah. And had Herod heard him and was Herod impressed? Like, whoa, this guy's, this guy's got balls. I want to meet this guy. Or or to make it more Jewish, he's got chutzpah, right? Like, this guy is... The real deal. Yeah. I want to meet this guy, right? I mean, that's not yeah, impossible. Is, is that what sparked out his I know, yeah. right? Because everything about Herod up to this point is that he's just. We've seen twice now that he wants to kill him. We have the story of him killing off John the Baptist. But remember, the John the Baptist story has the same vibe. Remember, he brought John the Baptist, yeah. put him in prison, but he would come have him preach to him because mm-hmm. he liked hearing him listen. Yeah. So Herod's got this kind of. He's got he's he's got two sides to him. He's got this genuine desire to be. The leader the people need him to be. The, I mean, he's the one who builds, you know, this mm-hmm. is, the, we're now in the, he's the son of the one who built the temple, you know, rebuilt the temple. He's a part of this great house that could mm. be this great, you know, this great era, um, you know. So, but anyway, like playing with like, so you could play with that, the Herod level, right? The, the just, and it's nice, it's fun to paint a picture of Jesus on his way to death, not, oh, I'm going to go die, but like this uh, very chutzpah yeah. Jesus with his face set to Jerusalem, right? Yeah. Like, oh, man. and he's like, I, there's no way Herod's taking me down until I get there, mm-hmm. but I actually am going to go down. Like, that's the plan, mm-hmm. right? So that layer, and then going in deeper to say, to then play, the, I already mentioned it earlier in a conversation, playing with this as also a prophetic statement about his death and resurrection. And again, the way that his death casts out demons and his resurrection heals our bodies. Like, I feel like there's a cool... Yeah. And then I think the third layer that I haven't got into would be that, what does it mean for Jesus, you know, to, I don't know, I'm still thinking about it, but to spend three days and be done with you, you know, there's something, there's something addressing us now. Yeah. What does it mean for at least um, something in Jesus' work? You know, I, I think we often, rightly so, talk about Jesus' work being finished back there, then and there. And maybe even our own conversion is done. I was saved or I was baptized at such and such a date. And then we talk a lot about progress in the Christian life day in, daily, as we should. But there's something about saying like, you know, are there key moments when Jesus is just done with something in your life? Not that you're done with it, but that he's, mm-hmm. he's wrapping something up. Yeah. And then you come to the hens. Are you willing? Mm-hmm. Not without our consent. Never without our consent. Um, but it is his deep desire to totally transform us. Um, all again, all that's just riffing off to Leumai, but, um, that's kind of my winkle right now. It, right. My short, my one word, to, my one word winkle is to Leumai. <laughs> you were flipping around while I was talking. Did you, did you see something? Did you get no, inspired was, on I was, something? I was making notes, making notes on what I didn't want to forget from our, our conversation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, well, well, one thing that came to mind is that is the the phrase that's so common now is like, sorry, not sorry. Right? Like, oh, that, yeah. that apology is not really, that's not really an apology. Um, and you could kind of plan that with like, willing, not willing. Right? Oh. Like, this willingness to be, to be in church, right? People who are there are kind of like, have a hmm. sense of willingness. And yet, People in church. Yeah, I need your help with the third point, the one that's about us now. That's yeah, what I'm terrible people, at. People <laughs> in church know what it's like to to um, tease out the the allure of Jesus and just to keep him at arm's length. Hmm. People in the world don't know that. They just keep Jesus away, right? If they're not interested in Jesus, they're not interested in Jesus. They don't understand that kind of like religious torture that that people of faith hmm. can put themselves through, which is like to keep Jesus just close enough, but then. To shut him out, mm. to, to bring him just close enough, and then and then to, to push him away again. Like like we know what that's like, and I think I might might play on some of that. This mm. the sense of of willing, not willing. Um, that we the dance that we can. It's t- dance is the right word, but that that it is torture. It is a torturous thing. Whenever yeah, am I making sense? Yeah, no, that, I'm that, tracking that, that that 
um, we 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 you see it in those, What's that? You see it in Herod. Absolutely, we you see it in the disciples. We, we you see we, it in the Pharisees, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's exactly, all over exactly. the past. It's, it's, yeah. it's like just close enough. No, 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 yeah, you see it in us, which I think fits a kind of willing, not willing. That deeper conversion, because one of the themes for me in Lent, in Lent, in Lent preaching for me, and in in Luke nine through nineteen preaching for me. A, a recurring theme is um, deeper discipleship, right? This is about, to, to use the language of our tradition, this is about sanctification, right? This is, this is you're already following Jesus. You've already left everything. You're following him. You, you're not even at home. You're now in Samaria traveling. You're going somewhere. You know there's some threat there. You don't fully understand it. Now it's time to become like Jesus, mm. right? There's a shift from that first third of his ministry that takes place in Galilee um, when everyone is welcome, come, you know, uh, sit at my feet, you know, learn from me. Let me heal you. There's so much compassion, so much welcome. And then in this middle or second half, as it were, I say third, but the last third is a third of the books usually, but it's only like, you know, a couple of weeks, right? Easter and mm -hmm. the commission. That's the third moment is the sending. But before the sending, there's the testing and the deepening. And this is where the cost of discipleship stuff comes in. Chapter 10 of Luke, where he's like, um, you want to follow me? Well, the foxes have their holes. You know, he doesn't say that in chapter one. That that comes in later, right? Chapter one is, you know, chapter four, I should say, the beginning of the, yeah. it's, it's, it's yeah. year of Jubilee. You're, you know, like the poor are going to be, you know, have good news, right? Um, but then now the, the next level kicks in. It's like, yeah, but now actually the invitation I extended to you is for you to become like me in my suffering, to drink my cup, right? Um, and I say all that to say that if it fits when you preach from these chapters, and again with Lent, what you know, this season of the year when people who are already Christians do repentance as if we're new, right? It's because we know at the bottom, even though we have come to Christ, there's a willing, not willing. Our yeah. wills are not fully yet conformed, yeah. Yeah. right? We've had that. We have that mustard seed of faith. We um, have assurance of salvation, right? Um, he who um, believes with his, you know, confesses with the mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believes in his heart that God raised him from the dead, will be saved. I'm not talking about salvation here, or I'm not talking about uh, basic salvation. I'm talking about transformative salvation, yeah. right? Which has um, great joys, but it's also the trials. It's also about yeah. being with Jesus in these uh, in these crazy places that he might take us. Um, so that, that was a meta comment about both of our sermons and about this season of the year and about Luke nine through 19, that this is, this is a shift from, um, you know, to, as it were, an intermediate, uh, a deeper, uh, kind of journey with Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I think we should wrap up. Let's do it. Three. I got a poem. Let's hear it. All right. The Son of Man must undergo great suffering, be rejected, and be killed, and after three days, rise again. This Messiah is just bound to suffer violence and injustice. Judas' betrayal, Peter's denial, Pilate's trial. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This Messiah is just bound to suffer and rise out of violence and injustice. Ethnic mockery, religious bigotry, political trickery. If they kill me, I will live on in the hopes of my Salvadoran people, prophesied Archbishop Oscar Romero. Amen. And it was so. And so it is. The Son of Man must undergo great suffering, be rejected, and be killed, and after three days, rise again. All right. <laughs> Anything you want to pitch before we head out? Anything coming up? This will drop in mid-March. Anything coming up on the podcast that you want to pitch? Or No.
D-Men still, keep, that's the big keep thing. Keep on, keep on, I mean, it's, uh, you never know which, which podcast episode's going to be the right one for people at different times. You know, there's some that are my favorite, you know, there's some weeks <laughs> that I think go better than others, right? And yeah. uh, and then I get yeah. feedback on one, and people are like, that was the best one yet, or that was my favorite one, or whatever else. You're like, that's great, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's the discipline, right? It's the discipline of the ordinary, like to be engaging the text in ordinary mm-hmm. ways to be getting good inputs in ordinary ways so just encourage our listeners to what what they have that is redemptive and helpful and beneficial and, and encouraging them on their own journeys to jerusalem is to keep on with them yeah awesome awesome well make sure to review and subscribe uh subscribe and review uh on uh on apple or whatever uh podcast app you use um, we appreciate um all our listeners um you're very special to us although I think we've managed to come to enjoy doing this, even if no one was listening, but it is kind of nice to (laughs) have someone listening in. Um, Yeah. And we, uh, yeah, I'll just, I will mention that I have started putting, doing more videos. They're connected to the demon that I'm teaching right now, but I've been starting to really beef up my, my, uh, my YouTube channel, just my name, John Aldrury. Um, So look that up. You might find random stuff there on Right now I'm doing some videos on Teresa of Avila that might be interesting. So I just mentioned that to listeners if they're into – like to watch things more than watch uh, – listen to things or both. I shouldn't say more than but in addition to. Um, yeah, other than that, I don't have anything big to pitch. I just want to say thanks uh, as always to Eric Fisher for all the great production work he does for this. And I'll, off, I'll add uh, the occasional shout-out to, uh, um, to uh, Tom uh, Adamson who provided the – great music that is spread out throughout the uh the uh podcast so anyway those are just some big thanks uh, and we'll just end by saying have a good preach and have a great week